This episode of the Unbuild It podcast is brought to you by Huber Engineered Woods. When we uh, when we talk about Huber Engineered Woods, you know we say they make Advantech, we say they make uh, Zip System, and, you know they have uh, liquid flash and subfloor glue and tape. And I think that most of our listeners are fairly familiar with their product lines. They make really high quality stuff that makes our job easier. But I also wanted to let you know that they have a couple of new products on the market that they just announced at IBSX uh, for 2021. They have Advantech X Factor uh, and they have a new uh, vapor permeable tape. Uh, and I think that those things are very important because uh, they go to show what Huber Engineer Woods is really about. They're innovating and they're problem solving before even builders like myself have asked for those things. That process of innovation has kept them at the top of the game, at the top of the pile, and that process of innovation has caused... Uh, builders like myself who are focused on durability and energy efficiency and really doing things the right way the first time to believe in them as a company and to use their products. Uh, We've been using uh, their original Advantech formula since uh, the late 90s as a company and we've been using Zip System since uh, 2013. So I think that that proves to you my belief in the company. I hope that you'll look into Huber Engineered Woods. uh, And thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Let's talk construction management software and what makes a software good. First, I'd say the ability to tackle the tasks that I needed to do. But more importantly, the ability for my team to comprehend the software, my clients to comprehend the software, and everybody involved to actually want to use that software or that interface. BuildBook could be that software for you. BuildBook is simple to learn and use. It allows for constant communication between you, your team members, and your clients. It doesn't waste time with unneeded features, and you won't have to send your team across country to learn how to operate it efficiently. At the end of the day, BuildBook should reduce your stress and your team's stress as well. BuildBook is an all-in-one construction software for today's builders. Whether you're a one-person operation or a large building crew, BuildBook has plans to fit your budget. They don't have any of those nagging sales calls or tricky upsells or hidden fees. You can sign up for a 10-day free trial with BuildBook so that they can teach you and show you what what the value is of their product. You should head over to buildbook.co to get started. Don't forget to mention that you heard it from us, the Unbuilded Podcast. That's buildbook.co. Thank you, Buildbook, for your sponsorship. Welcome to the Unbuilded Podcast. I'm your host this week, Pete Yost, and I've got with me my two buddies, Steve Bazik. Howdy, howdy. And Jake Bruton. Hello, hello. And this week, the episode is Unbuilding Window Installations 2020 Vision from Steve and Jake. And that's because Steve designs building, Jake's build them, and all I do is get paid to talk about them. You get paid to fix them. Just I thought you were saying paid to fix them. 2020 is because we've all had to fix ones that we screwed up. 
No, you guys have like eagle vision when it comes oh, okay. to window installs. Um, so we're going to start with uh, some basic uh, variables that we have when we have window installation. So the very first one is whether you're going to face seal the window when you install it or do a drained rough opening. What the heck do those two things mean? Or yeah. something in between, Steve? Um, well, there is, there's, there's always a hybrid in my world, right? Regardless of the situation, there's always a way where I can do something a little different from here, but a little short of there. And Wait a minute, Steve, when you say hybrid, I've got this picture of you in, you know, a Prius. hybrid, small, tiny Prius. Nissan Leaf. You also do hybrid cars. Let's not get carried away. I think Steve in a Nissan Leaf is elbow out the window. Elbow out the other window. <laughs> I, I don't it's like true. big jokes. Don't shake your head and say that. You were smiling, <laughs> I, too. I don't like big jokes. I actually <laughs> That was a small it. car joke. That wasn't a big No, it's a big joke. guy joke. No, no, no. I, was, I took it as more how tiny the car was, not how big you are, Steve. I don't also, like scalable jokes. Is your is your scale jokes? Is also your mentality of there's always room to be hybrid as in like I'm never truly going to commit to one one way or the other? It's not so much about committing. I just think the situations there's so many variables that we're going to get into that you might be able to slide this one in your favor and maybe slide that one not in your favor, right? I, I look at every decision totally. as a giant abacus. Even if it's one decision, that one decision has a bunch of parameters that are the abacus. And the question is, is where do I slide on the abacus? So to come back to Windows a little bit, um, <laughs> I think of face sealed as you're essentially locking- Please say sealing the face. You're not allowed to use the same words in your definition, <laughs> right? Uh, correct. Um, so face sealed means that you're going to uh, essentially lock the window in with its immediate surroundings, typically the cladding. So that would mean that between the cladding and the trim of the window, I'm simply going to use some type of sealant to try to keep the water out 100% at the face of the window. And then a drained rough opening is, no, we're going to make our last line of defense linking the weather-resistive barrier to the flashings of the window at the penetration. So it's funny because the way I see it, Peter, is I I do, I see it somewhat face-sealed as a barrier system. Mm. It's I'm relying on it being a barrier. And the other one being a water-managed system that suggests – if water, and it, it, it's funny because a water managed system to me is still somewhat of a barrier system. It's a barrier system with an answer. How's that? Right? Where the face sealed is a barrier system with no answer. You know, what's interesting is there are commercial building assemblies where um, all of the water management occurs right at the skin of the building. But that means that your, your sealants where the water is being kept out you can inspect, repair, and replace. The question is, will someone inspect, repair, and replace? So that's one of the first issues is, if you're going to do a face sealed system, you are automatically committed to, I'm going to have to come back and check it because those sealants are exposed to maximum temperature, maximum UV, maximum moisture gain and loss. 
And so if you're going to rely on that stuff at the face, you got to come back and make sure it's working. But you can still, I mean, there's barrier systems in commercial that you can have like a two-stage joint in the precast concrete that to me is backup if the barrier system fails, right? So that's that's a barrier system with an answer. But that's interesting because you've just kind of described a bit of a hybrid system too. That's where I was going yeah. with it. You see how I circle back? You see how I come right back? I'm like, I, I maybe my neck, my new nickname is Boomerang because like I go out there, but man, I come right back. So let's Jake without didn't even, Jake didn't even no. smirk at that. So one. I I'm going to call Boomerang you Boomer humor. from now on. Can I call him Boomer from now on? <laughs> no, because Boomer doesn't have the same suggestive <sighs> implications that Boomerang does. I'm not sure if we've ever had a podcast where it's taken this long to get this far. This is what happens when we talk before we get on the podcast. We already get in the mood mode of messing with each right, other. Right. So if we're in most basic terms, if we were just looking at an American manufactured flanged windowed, a face sealed system, the most simplest version of that would be we're taping all four sides of the window. Correct? Yes. We're, we're, we're taping to our out. WRB. In an effort to make sure that none of the water that hits the window can get behind that flange anywhere. Well, your naive assumption is no water gets past the tape. 100%. And so and, that's... Go ahead, Pete. And, well, if if the window unit leaks, right, the inherent problem is that, you know... So if a, a jam or sill connection leaks where... You know, we don't have control over whether or not water hits before Steve says if we put it under a big overhang. Well, Jake, it wasn't that long ago we were at a house and like the IGU was rattling in the window frame, if you remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that was in a pretty rainy part of the world. So, and so if we're if we're relying on a face sealed system. What are the things that we would be doing to make a face sealed system work? Because I just said the, the most basic, we tape all four sides of the flange and we all agree that that's a bad idea most of the time. So when is it not a bad idea is the question. Well, back when Steve and I were at Building Science Corporation together, there we were under the tutelage of Joe Stebrick, who said that if it was less than 20 inches of rain a year, that that would be potentially um, appropriate to face seal a window installation. And if there's more than 20 inches of precipitation a year, you definitely need to go to a drained rough opening. So then- I don't know if that still holds true with um, with Joe. Steve, do you know? I don't know. I don't know. But yes, that it's was- It's not a bad mantra. metric. 20 inches of rain is basically nothing, right? I mean- yeah. And that 20 can come in two days, and then the building has the rest of the year to dry out. I mean, uh, if we're doing a stucco house in El Paso, Texas, are we really worried about water, uh, a barrier ever? system? Are we really worried about any external water? Yeah. So then uh, do we just apply that to our buildings elsewhere? Like if this window is going to see less than 20 inches of rain a year? despite whether or not the uh, the environment sees 20 inches, if that window's under a five-foot overhang, it's not going to see more than 20 inches of rain a year. It might get about 20 on those days where it blows and rains. So then are we okay with a face-sealed system at that point? 
Yeah, and I think the question gets back to what are the what what's the liability or what's the risk if I choose this type of system? And so a lot of this goes back to belt and suspenders. Like, yeah, I probably can have a window installation that's successful, but what's the cost if it isn't? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the other questions that I get from builders too is, as you're going around the house, it's like, hey, you got me putting all this flashing and doing all this stuff over there, but we have these four windows to the screened-in porch. Do I have to flash them the same way? Right. And Do you want to know my what answer my answer is? is? Always, well, my answer is always, how do we know the screen and porch is going to be there as long as the windows? Mm. Right? So I always flash them the same so that we there we have the system, that we have the system, that we have the system. Um, but it does bring up a good point. because My my answer is always, uh, no, the carpenters on site don't get leeway. Because the second I say, this window is different than that window, then it's this window and that window and that window are different than the first one. Yeah, and Just the, because the, they don't the pay two double-hung windows in the two-story wall are now unflashed. Yeah. Well, you said that they were close to the screen porch, so we didn't have to, you know, it, it, it becomes not in the screen porch. It becomes on the same wall as there's a screen porch. Right. So it's a, you know, that's a communication it's thing. in the that same house like, nope. with the screen porch. They're the same. Well, and I think, too, that if we're going to admit that we're going to seal the water out at the face of the unit and leave those materials exposed to ultraviolet light, temperature changes, and moisture gain and loss, better make sure you got a maintenance plan. And I think that's the the thing that's scary to me is not whether it can keep the water out in the first, second, third, or fourth year. It's like, are we really expecting the homeowner to be the one that goes out and see if the sealant's cracked in its bonding surface and, you know, now it needs to be ripped out? Mm -hmm. Commercial buildings may have a maintenance plan for that, but you know, residential buildings, not quite as likely. Well, and this is not exactly uh window install, but it's that sealant conversation. I had a conversation and I've told you this before with a DAP rep or with a manufacturer's rep. I don't think it was DAP. And I said, what's the service life? And he said, well, it should be about three to five years. And I said, okay, how do we know if it's three? How do we know if it's five? And he said, well, you have yeah. to inspect it. I said, okay, how often should it be inspected? And he said, probably two or three times a year. And I said, okay, so If I build a walkout, I'm supposed to either charge the clients to come back every six months and inspect anywhere I put your sealant or convince them to buy a 35-foot extension ladder and put it up three times a year. And he's like, well, you know, it kind of just depends. And I was like, I have to find a way to not use sealant on the outside of the building at all. I have to find a way to shed water without caulking, basically. interesting. Well... So one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, I have my 30 years, Jake has his 20 plus or however many years. Peter's got his 70 years of experience. Um, <laughs> What'd you say? I had so, hearing that. Sorry, so he's together, talking after you graduated. Yeah. With your, with after, your after college. Um, but I guess my, my, my first question is, I have not, but have either of you ever taken apart a building and not seen some level of water damage around a window. So I have two or three that were all old enough that the sheathing was board sheathing. And that's a, Mm -hmm. like, the house had huge overhangs. It was designed long ago. The windows had heads. Like, they they had head trim that projected those sorts of things. Everything else. 
I, I feel like every building that I've remodeled and replaced windows in that had OSB had water damage. And I don't think that's a, an, an OSB versus board sheathing thing. I think that's a, we forget how to design windows. So to complete the picture, the board sheathing house probably didn't have insulation. It did not. Yep. Yeah. Correct. So it's baking it dry. And just to be yeah. perfectly clear, the board sheathing probably still had some water staining around the window corners. It just wasn't rotted. There's yep, you can make that you can make that point, and I think I can agree okay. with that. So I guess what I'm trying to rule out so yes, is that all those the windows got wet too. That in other say, words. well, you know, you can keep the water out. No, the water is in. So we're we're on the same page there, I believe. Okay, so if we're gonna move then to drain draft hoping or a water managed system, what does that entail? Well, if we're gonna manage the water, we're gonna let it out, right? If it gets in, that's the simplest way to think of it. Yep. And I would say that um, I'm going to weather lap and flash the rough opening. And then I'm going to weather lap and flash the window installation. Right. So we've got two systems and where they intersect is at the sill. Right. So if I seal everything twice i i want to make sure that there's a should water get in there's a place for it to get out so keep it out at the jam in the head and then design to dry at the sill we should also be clear that everything we've talked about so far is just about water management we haven't talked about anything else like thermal or air you know it's interesting i had this conversation last week when i was down by you jake but i was trying to explain that the bigger the hole the less likely it is to leak does that make sense to the two of you right because explain. the bigger the hole the larger the pressure drop so the less likely you're going to have like wind like if i have a eighth inch hole facing a 30 mile an hour wind and i and i draw water down a wall and i have that hole I'm probably more likely to push water in that eighth inch hole than I am a two inch hole. You might have to try explaining that another way. I'm not sure if I'm following you. Um, well, just because there's not enough pressure to push the water all the way through the hole in the two inch hole that because the hole is larger, the, the amount of pressure required to move water through that hole is going to be greater than moving it through the smaller hole. Yeah, but that's not how pressure works, Steve, right? I mean, pressure is independent of the, of the, of the area, right? Yes. It, it's exerting the same push. It's a everywhere. uniform load. Yes. Right. Um, so then haven't you what, just expanded the area that it could leak through? Haven't you made the potential greater? Well, if we're simply talking about the pressure, I guess the question is, how's the water getting in there? Is it, you know, because interestingly, when Joe Stebrick talks about how much of a back dam you need to resist wind pressure, right? So think of it as the wind is trying to push the water. It's not... The back dam is is there to let the water drain out because you've got the uh, sill installation open. 
but the question is, can you get water pushed in there? And right. what Joe would say is, you need a half inch minimum back dam to resist typical wind pressure that that opening would see. Okay, so let me rephrase my question. I guess the the whole analogy in the wall isn't the same, but if I put a flange window on and it has an open sill and the wind blows water into the open sill, well, the cavity on the inside of the flange is at least 10 times the size of the gap um, between the flange and the flashing, right? Yep. So there's a, a pretty large pressure drop on the other side of the flange, I guess is my On point. the back side of the flange. So you're not getting the same pressure pushing the water up the the slope sill to the back dam that you are pushing the water in the little hole. You're seeing a pressure drop as soon as you get past that because the, the opening is larger. So what I'm thinking of, Peter, in, in essence is the the space underneath the window, the rough opening, is like a two-stage joint. You have a small hole that goes to a larger cavity. Mm-hmm. So that the pressure drop in that larger cavity is such that I don't have enough. I mean, I would have to have a hell of a wind on a building to push water up that vertical back dam. Yeah, I agree. Because I not only do I have to overcome that little bit, that little hole between the nailing flange, I have to overcome the pressure drop when it goes into a cavity that's 10 times the size of that hole. You know, the other thing that's interesting here is that the most difficult place to get your air control layer continuous in a window installation, in my mind, is at the sill. But it's also the most important because, again, if 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 the water is being pushed by wind in and there's no air leakage, then you just get pressure at the face, yes. right? And that's what helps to keep the water out of that free draining space. It's like trying to push water in a an open bottle or a bottle with the cap exactly. on Exactly. Right? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this is why it's so critical that that be airtight at the sill, but also free draining. So that leads, I mean, this is a really good point to lead into when we talk about a hybrid system of face sealed versus flange, right? I've done a lot of houses with flangeless windows halfway in the wall, but we tape the sill and we tape the sill with a vapor open tape. And my thought is, is two, one, the window is, let's call it semi-protected because it's recessed in Mm -hmm. the hole. So I'm dripping. It has water. a little two or three inch roof over top. Yeah, of it. sometimes it might even be four or six inches, but there is some dripping mechanism at the head of the window. Secondly, is our bottle concept that you just brought up, Peter? Is these houses are operating at 0.6 or better air tightness? Mm-hmm. So there's not a huge air transported moisture mechanism that's moving across the window frame to get water in there. And in most cases, the wind is blowing against a sealed cavity. Mm -hmm. And that vapor open tape is probably only making it harder to push something in. So it's kind of like a semi-face sealed hybrid. 
So, Steve, you're saying that rather than leaving uh, the tape off of the sill part of the flangeless window installation, you actually tape that closed? Yeah, we tape it closed. And why do you do that? Why do you tape that closed? For the very reason that the the vapor open tape is air closed. So we maintain a really good external air barrier with having the ability to dry through the tape. Interesting. So That's how we did wind- it at my house, Peter. Uh and my personal house was the first time that I had uh, that I did that. So I have flangeless flangeless European windows and uh they're in the middle of the wall and they have roughly three and a half inches of protection on the head. And we taped all four sides. And after having done it at my house, I'd be hard pressed to continue with that face sealed system just purely from an execution standpoint. So my uh, lead project manager, Brad, is incredibly uh, fastidious or meticulous. And Brad did an amazing job where each one of the windows, even the ones that are, you know, the one to my right is nine feet wide. It's one piece of tape across there and it's installed properly. But I don't know if I would, I would turn that over to my framers to do or hardly anybody else. Uh, but what's interesting that, though, is a risk. We yeah. we're, we're doing the next house, the, the Hilltop Arrow house project, Peter, and we moved the windows out that three inches. So they're flush mm-hmm. and we eliminated the tape on the outside. Interesting. On the bottom. Because ins- the parameters changed. And when and, you install sorry, ahead, go ahead. Jake, sorry. They're they're not even they're not even flush. They're three eighths proud of the sheathing and they're flush with our batten strips. It's just our first run of batten strips are all incorporated into our WRB with tape. So wow, they're so your as flangeless exposed. window your flangeless window sticks out beyond the plane of your WRB. Yeah. yeah well they're flush the with the range strapping. screen. They're flush wow. with the rain screen, so there is no exterior extension jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well our I mean, first run of rain uh, rain screen, that three eighths rain screen material, is our extension jam. And and to keep the free draining space at the sill, do you always install wedges structurally supporting the unit, so the actual bottom of the window unit is not in direct contact with the rough sill? Correct, but we also do that. Anytime, because we're doing a slope to the outside sill. So yeah. we use a cedar clapboard, clapboard siding to make that unit drain toward the outside of the wall. And to be able to get the window to set properly, we cut little wedges of that, dip them in primer, tape them in place. Don't nail them in place because then you're nailing through your waterproofing you just did. Right. And right. then we're supporting the window where it needs to be supported. So I can... Literally stick and my they're hand installed in there. inverted. Just to yeah. clarify, <laughs> instead of making the slope worse, <laughs> I did not clarify but, that. Thank you. But to me, I mean, I I've seen best practice installations where there's um, a back dam, but the window bottom horizontal frame is sitting directly on the 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 sill flashing, and I just think, man, that's constant contact. Create a space there. Yeah. yeah. Either by sloping it and or backdamming it. Or some type or, of blocking or shim or something. Yeah. And we're so at the hilltop house, uh, I still like uh canned foam for insulating around the window. 
Uh, I like the rigidity that it provides as well. I know it's a pain in the butt when we go to renovate, but we're not building the whole house so that it can be renovated simply. Uh, but we don't use the can foam on the sills because we don't want that thing to do exactly what you were just saying, where we can foam it and then it's a solid piece from window down to sill. So we're using uh, backer rod on our sills uh, at the Hilltop House as our insulation. Mm-hmm. We know that it's you know fairly air permeable. We're never going to get the same R value that we would out of the, the jams in the head, but we're taping the interior face on all four sides for our air control layer, and it helps with any water that may get in there as well. Do either of you change your installation details for a fixed window unit compared to an operable fixed unit, uh, operable nope. unit? No. Because no. the sash is usually the same. And uh, no, not the I don't, sash, the frame. The frame yeah, is the frame. not the sash. And I'm not, you know, I'm worried that either one of them is going to leak, so I'm not going to take one less serious than the other. Again, it's that it comes back to that communication with carpenters on the site. I'm not giving anybody leeway. We're just doing it the way that I want you to do it, and we're doing it everywhere that way. And um, do either of you uh, change your window installation for a hung as opposed to awning, casement, hopper, slider? No. We're both shaking our heads on the podcast. Steve and I are both, what are we, 30-something episodes And for good reason, Peter, Uh it's one of those things where, and this is how I view it, my responsibility is to connect the window to the wall. The window itself, that's the responsibility of the manufacturer. So if they build an awning and they screw it up or it leaks because it's an awning, that's on them, not mm-hmm. on me, right? My job is to get the frame to the wall. And that and that means water, air, and thermal. There's a reason why we're talking about water for the most part. The same reason we always talk about water for the most part, because water is the one that kills buildings and then air and then thermal. I just thought of my, one of my <laughs> biggest pet peeves in construction too. And it has what to is that? With this, but, well, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> okay. Thanks for bringing but, it up uh, now. Well, no, because before I, I do that, I want to preface it with a short conversation because Peter's asking, do I do this? Do I do that? And, you know, it, it, lately my my soapbox mantra has been, you know, asking the right questions. And are we making sure that we're asking the right questions? So certainly we've, we've done a lot of talk about water and rightly so, right? When you install a window, it is by far the, the highest of concerns, keeping water out. And then second is air and then vapor and then thermal. Thermal being number four on the list, right? So that raises the question of insulate over insulating window frames. So I'm trying to keep my composure here, as you can see. <laughs> I can't think of a dumber thing to do than over insulate the window frames. Let me repeat that because I know there's some people out there that are going to cringe at this, but. I can't think of a dumber thing to do than over-insulate the window frames. And for two reasons. One, if I over-insulate the frames, I put the window in, I get everything in there, and then I push rigid insulation up there. How do I manage what happens to water 
on the on the inside of that rigid insulation? How do how do I manage that rigid insulation install? Because I have to shim it or something, right? Because water will get behind it, and if it's not shimmed, then that piece of insulation becomes a dam. And to use one of Joe's favorite expressions, ask me how I know. <laughs> how do you know? Because with a very extremely reputable builder, we over-insulated the frames and we tore them out about two weeks later. Every Steve, piece. I, I, I want to make sure we all agree. What do you mean by over-insulating? So when frame? you put in, especially European-framed windows, you have like a four-inch aluminum frame or aluminum-clad frame. Well, you don't need to expose it all. You can put a piece of one and a half inch rigid insulation around the perimeter of that window and picture frame inside the opening. Yeah. And basically insulate the first 30% of that window frame. So you're fastening insulation in this scenario to the jam, to the, to the face yeah, of the as jam. an extension jam. Think of it as yep. an extension jam. Yeah. But okay, so here's that's good. Okay. So here's the dumb part. And, and I, I did it that one time. And then after I thought about it, this is where the dumbness comes in because I can't believe I did it because I didn't ask the right questions. All right. If I, if I have a four inch aluminum frame and I insulate the first inch and a half of it with rigid insulation, duh, do? the aluminum frame gets cold and the cold just migrates in on the aluminum frame anyway. You mean the cold right. doesn't know not to go behind that insulation? Yeah, the cold doesn't know to the cold doesn't know to say, "Oh, stop here, there's insulation." Somebody put pink stuff on the outside. So, so I I don't know what computer modelers and all of this are doing and I'm sure there's somebody out there that's going to run some isotherm images and say post them and tell me how I was wrong, but I'll tell you what, I will never over insulate a window again in my lifetime. And, and so you're saying not to over-insulate, not because, well, I think I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's more about how difficult it is to maintain your water management, not I think it interferes get. with water management significantly. And that And I think thermal. you're setting yourself up for a problem. So you're answering a number four question, but creating a number one problem, which is dumb. And I, there's a part of me that says... If we can't figure out, if manufacturers can't figure out how to do, accomplish thermal breaks in their well, we have unit. a thermally broken aluminum window, or we have a cork broken wooden framed window. I've used both, um, right? But but, and, but and they're there. But what you're what I'm I'm saying is the responsibility for the thermal performance of the frame should be part of the manufacturing of the window. Yeah, build a better damn frame for me to use. Don't expect me to add insulation to the outside. Okay. Now, here, here's where the dumbness continues. This, this particular house had 35 windows. Well, I should say, this was a different house. 35 windows. And we actually did over-insulate them on here, too. Um, but we put the over-insulation on shims. So now air is able to get underneath it, which kind of degrades the insulation at the sill mm -hmm. on the walls. It was there. I asked the builder, how much would you charge now that you've actually done it to, to over insulate these window frames and that, and, and it, and it changes the fastener size 
and length because now I'm going through an inch and a half of foam with everything I'm trying to attach. But he said, easily $50 to $70 a window in material and labor to over-insulate the frame. Mm -hmm. Okay. This house was a particular passive house. When And the passive house consultant was the homeowner. So we get to play with numbers. So we put in the over-insulating frames and we took them out. It changed the energy bill $10 a year. 35 windows times $60 a window is what, Jake? Because you're doing the math for me. 2100 2100 at yeah, $10 of savings a year, let's just say it's $20 in savings a year with escalation of energy costs, although this is a zero energy house, but you're still talking 105 years to get that money back. And my guess is, is you're probably creating a problem in that 105 years with that. Probably better off so, not owning a dog and opening the door 10 times a day for that dog well, to come and go. Well, but see, see, I've never heard anybody try to justify this from an energy savings. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. I have... Oh, they always do. And so here's where the dumbness continues, Peter, because I'm not done with dumbness, (laughs) right? Sorry, I I said you have 2020 vision, so I have to defer to you. (laughs) You're going to regret that one. (laughs) The deferring and the 2020 vision. (laughs) This is where the dumbness continues. And here, this is probably the most intelligent thing I'm ever going to say on this podcast. So... If you're riding in your car, buckle up, pay attention. But just pull over so that you can focus. Or just pull over and get ready. <laughs> Have for a this. driveway moment because with this is this is revelation revealed right here. This that's what we're talking here. Okay, ready? Something in the house has to be the worst part. Okay, something has to be. So if I insulate the frame, then something else becomes the worst part. Then the frame becomes the worst part. Right. So guess what? I'm happy with the window frames being the worst part of the wall or the worst part of the house. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with forfeiting that $10 a year in savings to keep proper water management and the ability to just install the trim and all of that stuff around the window easier and not create a problem. So, so the other the other thing I've heard about over insulation of windows is a moisture management issue because the window needs to be further protected from condensation. So so it's not just the energy savings, it's that hey, if I don't do over insulation either because of the plane of the window, you know, that it's being installed in or the climate. Like cuz I I hear of about over insulation from Alaska, frankly. Right. So we're not talking about those people should move. <laughs> Use wood windows. Um, mm, there we go. Th- that's where I hear about over insulation of windows is when the windows are outies and they're in really severe climates, not 7,000 heating degree days, but 12,000 heating degree days. Yep. Yeah, stop because using aluminum. In terms of controlling uh, uh, condensation. But you know he's right though peter that is probably the smartest thing that he's ever said on the podcast is that something has to be the worst part of the house that is a huge takeaway 
Uh, and it's also the thing to keep in mind when you're having long format conversations with somebody who is a passive house consultant or loves to talk about how they build passive houses because it's every other sentence is, well, what about the thermal break? What about a thermal break? What about a thermal break? What about a thermal break? And yeah, and some people are this- out there spending $3,000 to mm-hmm. save 10. Yeah. So, you know, what I'm going to do, I'm going to, we're going to have a subsequent episode, episode on windows about window innovations where I'm going to rely heavily on work from Lawrence Berkeley National Labs and a guy named Charlie Churcha, who we might want to have as a guest for that episode. But I'm going to ask Charlie, like, hey, it, under what conditions do you think we need to over-insulate? Is it for certain types of frames, certain types of climates, or when it's installed out in cold climates? Because that's a really good question. I think he might actually have to... Uh, Agree with well, Steve I don't have say. aluminum, but I have this, Peter. I have UPVC triple glazed windows in a 10-inch wall in 7,200 heating degree or 6,800 heating degree days. And we have never had a glimpse of moisture on, on the inside of those. So I, I don't buy it. I defer. I don't buy it. I'm I'm going out on a limb and saying I don't buy it. I like the fact but, that Peter's take Peter's taking a uh, a distinct position. Well, so but here, so like let's not let's let's not turn this into beat up on Peter Day. But because we've talked long enough, I can come back at him with another question and answer that he's provided that he either has to fall in alignment or go into contradiction with himself. Uh oh. So, How so what is the difference between that aluminum window in condensation or using a copper sill pan that you said, eh, there's not a whole lot of metal there for me to really be concerned. Is there more metal in the window frame that now elevates your concern? You're asking me if the thermal bridge of the copper sill pan is... Well, you, to the, you've expressed little to no concern over that, which I agree. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So does an aluminum window, because there's a little bit more aluminum and it being thermally broken, does that elevate concern to a level? Like is the threshold between the copper sill pan and the aluminum frame window? Because for me, the aluminum frame window and the copper sill pan are the same. So in terms of the... Well, one's made of copper and one's made of aluminum. Shut up, Jake. (laughs) You know, the... uh, Peter, the the big boys are talking. (laughs) So, um, I I feel like that the whole time we're recording this, by the way. Every episode. (laughs) I don't know the answer to this question, but, um, you know, we do have uh, condensation ratings for windows as part of the... National Fenestration Rating Council testing. But what I don't know is do the conditions of really extreme winter climates, not 6,800 heating degree days, but 12,000 and up, that probably are, that, that probably represents conditions that exceed the standardized test by NFRC, right? Yeah. Well, they, pretty much exceed the standardized knowledge of the building community. Right. I mean, when you think about, okay, if 1.3 million building permits were pulled last year, 
how many were above 12,000 heating degree days. Right. And how many of those windows were installed, you know, as innies, middies, or outies in deep walls? Because I think that's part of the variability. And the size of the window. Remember, we got into that into the previous one, where if you have these deep well windows with no heat getting in, then that's an issue. I've seen that. Yep. But- if you're building in 12,000 heat degree days, I say no window should be less than about 30 square feet in area. So how, how do each of you decide if you have a wall that's deep enough in what plane to install the window? How do around you GW. Pardon I flip me? a quarter. I said around GW. I flip a quarter. Heads or tails? Flip a coin? You, Forget it. He's not quick today. I, I'm back to talking to you. He doesn't Jake. remember coin money. Pete, all you're of a out. Can't, no, that's not why I was pausing. I was pausing because I can't believe that the architect of the three of us said, "Flip a coin." What you're saying is aesthetics don't matter. No, no. I just I I was teasing. <laughs> it does come down to aesthetics, though. It does I mean, come down. It, well, a lot comes, of times. it's funny because it comes down to aesthetics. It comes down to value engineering, right? Because when you think about it, the house that Jake and I are working on, one of the things that we talked about was the cost of pushing that window in or pulling it out. Because mm-hmm. if you're picture framing it with casing versus having to run a two-inch extension jam on the outside, that's a hell of a lot more work to trim that out. And the trade-off was we're able to buy a better siding and rain screen system by moving the window out. So it's that little abacus of decisions that it's not all about, well, it looks better on the outside. It's, well, we traded off that pocket window look for getting all the siding. And oh, by the way, it is going to give more of a contemporary look in this particular design, which is more favorable. So, but I hear three variables, cost and complexity, appearance, and protection from bulk water. Are those the three that you use to decide in what plane to install the window? Which window um, to? And in, in interior aesthetics is certainly one of them. Right. Because yeah. I have I have clients that, oh my God, I'm going to love these eight inch window sills. Right. So we push the windows all the way out because she wants, you know, put her plants on the window sill. Um, How many conversations do you have to have with a client before you get all the way down the list to, I love how deep the window sills are? um, It is very far down the list. (laughs) Well, that was going to be my next question. It's it's like a a walk to the hotel room, to your hotel room in Vegas from the street. (laughs) (laughs) A day and a half. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is how often, because this is such an important decision, how often do you make it part of their choice? Or do you just say, hey, I'm going to decide for other reasons and not even bring up the issue of aesthetics and window placement? That ha- That's a conversation that has to be had. Because okay. when you have that thick of a wall and a European window, if you're using those, but even if you're just using a regular window, one of the things in the back of their minds, clients' minds, is how deep is the windowsill? Believe it or not, it's yeah. always it's always a topic. So you have and to make it. So you have to breach it because you have to manage expectations. Got right? it. It's the same with using an Anderson window in in like remodeling a two by four wall. 
It's like you realize when we put this window in, you are not going to have any interior extension jams to put shading devices or anything. Everything mm. is on the surface because the window pretty much fills the two by four wall. But it's like any other conversation. It's a, uh, I'm the professional. This is what I'm recommending. Just so yeah. you know, this is what it's going to be. And then you react to what they have to say. Yeah. I have what I hope is the final question. Although with your 2020 vision, you guys may be looking way past, you know, the end of any unbuilt it podcast about windows, but um, I'm looking how- beyond you at a fluke. <laughs> Steve, and just for those of the, this is a podcast. He's making visual jokes. He's making visual jokes. making visual jokes on a podcast. (laughs) I have a fluke camera behind me and Steve just can't resist saying, is that a fluke behind me? Well, it's like the same size as your head in the frame and it says fluke very large. It's not, it's not his fault. Um, How often do you not follow elements of the manufacturer's installation set. Every time that we work with American-made windows. <laughs> Every time. And so, I don't know if I've ever gotten an information packet on how to install European windows. That, I was going to ask you that, yeah. Because the yeah. first time that we got them, I called Patrick at EAS, which is where we buy most of them, uh, and I said, Patrick, there's no instructions. There's no, you know, warranty information. Uh, you know, what are we? He says, go watch the video. You know what he said? That's because Europeans know how to install windows. <laughs> and by the way, EAS is European Architectural Supply. Yep. Yes. Okay. And I was just like, thanks, Patrick. Let me call you back. <laughs> like, <laughs> so every time that we use. American-made flanged windows, basically, because the the manufacturers don't take installation serious enough for us when we think about proper water management, you know, especially mean, the it, ones that send you flanged windows where the flange is non is discontinuous around the perimeter, around corners, and stuff like that. Actually, with, I have with, one more final. Well, question. I was just going to say, with the idea of time in mind, though, I can't imagine. I have I ever read. A an American-made window installation cover to cover, um, probably once or twice, years and years ago when I was doing that testing with your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's like anything. There's, I'm sure there is an out for them. Meaning, oh, you used the wrong tape. That tape's not compatible with our mm-hmm. flange. Or it doesn't lap four inches. It only laps three and a half inches, like our suggestive lapping um so i'm sure there is something in there that you're always gonna do not exactly correct by the window manufacturer so so the short answer is yes but i don't think it's necessarily by boy that's a dumb idea i'm going to do this it's more of this is how i think it should be done and it probably is contrary to their beliefs in some way and either of you how how often, if it's a new installation process, do you require or strongly recommend mock-up and performance testing of the first window? I usually go out and install the first window with the builder. And it's even like I just did it Saturday, uh, two days ago. And it was with a builder that I've already installed five or six with. The mm. difference is the client was there too. Mm. 
And the client wanted to see it and understand it. And we walked through everything and we talked about why the back dam, what is the material for that. We let him play with zip stretch tape. He thought it was the coolest thing um, since sliced bread, which I think it was cool. Um, we played with the new two-inch router bit so we can router the opening to the uh, zip R sheathing, which the oh. builder had to search for to find, but he did find a panel bit to router it out. So we got a nice clean. I had a, actually somebody on IG posted yesterday that said routering out a window is a waste of time and it's no better than if I did it with a chainsaw. And I was like, are you for Whoa. real? Yeah. Go watch uh, Tim with awesome framers videos on, on how quick they can router window openings. Quit being silly. Yeah. Yeah, there's no marking out. All you have to know is generally where it is and plunge in the right spot to begin with. Plunge it in and then go find the edge. Yeah, Yeah. they're being silly. Now, Peter, I have yet to build a house that I felt like uh, was we had a high enough budget to build a mock-up wall where we could do and play with the window opening, but we just do that on the first install, like Steve said. Yeah, and we're gonna spray windows with water every time we install. If not all of them, at least a few. You know, the first one we do in the morning and the first one that happens after lunch so that they still remember how to do it. So you're saying not a separate mock-up wall, but almost always or always you're doing a uh, first window install. Yep. Yeah, window as a, test. As a trial. Yeah. Yep. If you want to be a builder and you want to get a good education, test some of the shit you do. Yeah. yeah. Right? Put a couple windows in, go grab a garden hose, bring it around that side of the house and... Squirt down the windows. Now, Steve, I just have to say that this is coming dangerously close to you wearing a wingnut hat if you're going to test the window with a garden hose. I'll tell you what. Let me put this in perspective. <laughs> you probably be have a better or? chance of seeing <laughs> me and my dogs cruising in a Prius with a sunroof <laughs> than me wearing a wingnut hat. Man, I can't think of a better way to... In- to end an unbuild it podcast. And with that, I want to thank Jake and Steve on remember something has to be the worst part of the house. And sometimes it's true for podcasts too. Something has to be (laughs) the worst part of the podcast. That's just mean. That's just mean. Don't forget that you can send us questions at the unbuild it podcast. Uh, You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Reach out to us on IG uh, if you have suggestions about what you'd like to hear us talk about, uh, be it building science related. Uh, We're not going to have more Prius conversations, although we may if Steve continues to get frustrated with us when we talk about him riding in little cars. And uh, thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for joining us today. Peter, thank you. Yeah, that was great. You guys, I learned a lot from you, too. Thanks, guys. Steve, thanks. Adios.